Welcome to Monday Morning Coffee with Inside the Firm. Each week, our hosts will be interviewing local, regional, and national business leaders to give you an inside peek into how they lead their business to success in the ever-competitive business climate. Welcome to Monday Morning Coffee with Inside the Firm. Today, I have a special guest, Ken Burke. He is the founder and CEO of the Entrepreneur Network, the Entrepreneur Now Network, a speaker, serial entrepreneur, e-commerce pioneer, mentor, and author. Ken founded Market Live, a market-leading enterprise class e-commerce software platform used by major merchants, generating $2 billion in online sales per year through the platform. His clients included Disney, Warner Brothers, Target, 1-800-Flowers, Omaha Steaks, Party City, and many more. Most recently, Ken authored his best-selling book of 10 years in the making, Prosper, Five Steps to Thriving in Business and Life. Ken, welcome to the show. Hey, Lance, thanks so much. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, we're glad to have you. Uh, before we get into exactly what you do now, tell us how you got here. You know, I'm always interested to know if people are from a family of entrepreneurs or if they're, or if they're from the complete opposite, and that's what drove them to be serial entrepreneurs. I consider myself in that category. How did you get here? Yeah, no, it's a great question. And uh, I am not from a, a family of entrepreneurs. In fact, I'm from the exact opposite, you know, very traditional family. Uh, and, you know, just I didn't I always had the entrepreneurial bug. You know, I, it actually started, I think, when I was about 10 years old. My dad wanted to buy a hardware store in our local town. We got really excited about it. He ended up not buying it. But I think it was at that point that I said, you know what, I kind of I kind of like this entrepreneurial idea. I don't know what it sparked in me. And ever since then, I've either run my own businesses since age 10, their own papers, <laughs> you know, all the way up till uh, today. So uh, I guess that's why I call myself a serial entrepreneur. Yeah, I love it. Um <clears throat> Uh, so I've got some questions for you based on your background here. And tell us what you think truly matters in driving business growth and success. Yeah, well, I think, first of all, an entrepreneurial mindset is incredibly important. It's as, as important as what goes on up here uh, as any idea or contacts or anything else that you have. Your product can be great, but if you can't execute it, a lot of times what I see is entrepreneurs get in their own way. <laughs> they're, they're, they're their biggest challenge. So I think one of the most important things uh, is really understanding things that that the mental attitude that you go into with your entrepreneurial business, because I think any idea can, many ideas, not any idea, can be successful. Uh, and what you do when you get an idea, and I think all entrepreneurs have gone through this, and if you're listening and maybe you haven't started that journey, you kind of start with something and then you kind of shift it around a little bit and move it around and mold it into something that uh, can be wildly successful. And you get to that point. It may not be where you start, but where you end up. And I can tell, I can tell you that because that's exactly how I've run all my businesses and they never kind of end up the way that I think they're going to end up. But in a lot of cases we're pivoting and pushing around. Well, that requires a lot of mental fortitude, if you will, uh, and um, stick to itiveness. I always talk about the three P's. My three P's are patience, perseverance, and passion. Usually the third one, most entrepreneurs have in some level, but if you don't have it, Passion is infectious. It's the, the key ingredient, the secret ingredient that I like to say that brings people in, investors, uh, shareholders, uh, uh, employees, partners, and other people that you want to be associated with. And I think that patience thing is all part of this idea of the, the mindset, where patience is, 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 again, it's not sometimes doesn't happen on your clock. It's not always going into your into the way that you think it should go. It might take a little bit longer. And what I watch entrepreneurs do is they kind of, they pivot from here and then they pivot from here and three weeks later, they're over here and then they're bouncing all around. Sometimes you have to have that patience with an idea to let give it some time. That doesn't mean you shouldn't pivot, but you got to give that idea some time and perseverance. I think entrepreneurs have this 
a lot of entrepreneurs have this, but don't give up. I always say you got to be on the playing field to win the game. So, you know, you got to be in the game to win the game. And so that perseverance of keep pushing and keep trying, I just noticed the people that are successful, they aren't successful in one or two years. Sometimes it takes 10 or 12 years. I ran my business for 21 years before I sold it. Uh, and so it took a long time. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for that. Well, another thing I was noticing on your bio is, and this really stuck out to me, is you talked about competition and embracing your competition, which then allows you to beat them. That really struck me because I, I've never heard anybody kind of use that phrasing before. Can you, oh, unpack, yeah. can you unpack that for me? Absolutely. I love it because um, I think, first of all, you need to know a lot about your competition, but a lot of entrepreneurs and a lot of businesses in general kind of, you know, they always think that, you know, hey, well, I've got the best solution out there. I really don't have any competition. Mm -hmm. By the way, if you ever say you don't have competition, you might want to rethink your business idea. You want competition. Here's the deal. If you have to, if you're creating something so revolutionary, it's never been done before in the history of the world, which is possible, but unlikely, but possible. Even that, you will have what we call competition for the wallet share. The wallet share of where money is spent, you're competing against that. So even if you don't think you're competing, sometimes you're competing against an offer like free. Like all, the mm -hmm. alternative to what I do is somebody can do it for free somewhere else. Maybe not as good, maybe not the same thing. So you got to look at competition from a lot of different perspectives and angles. So and the second thing is why you want competition is that you want other uh, you want your consumer to be able to compare and contrast against something else that's out there. Because if you're doing something so revolutionary, nobody's ever heard of it in the world, you're going to spend a lot of money on education, just so you know. Mm -hmm. So you're going to need a lot of investment dollars to educate the educate your potential consumer to become your consumer. But if they can compare it and say, "Oh, that's like a, that's a better mousetrap. That's a that's a you know a more interesting piece of software than I've been using before. It's got a lot more features. I think I'm going to go ahead and use that. Maybe I'll move over or whatever it might be, or something that's better tasting, like a like a, a drink product perhaps, or has more protein in it, or or keto friendly, or whatever it might be. Right? Those are all those are all pivots on an idea that you've created your own idea. So I just want to make sure that you understand that competition is important. And then when I say embrace it. I want you to wrap your arms around it. I want you to know everything about it. I want you to go to their website. I actually teach how to analyze a website so you can pull out tons of information on any marketing website from your competitor. You can find so much out, positioning, target market, pricing information, and then you can start to calibrate. So when I say embrace your competition, I want you to know a lot about them. And sometimes I might even mean go out and meet them and, and understand what they're all about, understand their company culture, understand their employee mentality, understand how they deal with customers. Those are just uh, some of the things that you really need to understand when you talk about your competition. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Very interesting. Intriguing. Um, <clears throat> the assets, you know, people talk about them in different ways. And uh, obviously, you know, I'm looking at the stock market chart here and it's year over year. It looks terrible. Uh, Bitcoin like took a big, huge crap uh, over the past week where like we hit the like at 15,000 real estate is down. Um, what do you, I would love your take on, you know, how can one build re reusable assets that can increase their value of their company? I got to tell you, uh, reusable, every business, every business should have some capability of building reusable assets. Okay. So a couple of different things about reusable assets, and you might not think of it when I say the word asset, uh, it, 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 it might conjure up like a financial statement. That's not right. what I'm talking about at all. When we talk about assets, it's things that ultimately could be resold. I'll give you an example. A service business 
when you go to sell a service business and you're, let's say, the main component of that service business, you may not even be able to sell it because if you're not in the business, the business isn't worth anything. Some of your listeners out there can identify this, but let identify with it. But let's say that you started to add employees to that business. Well, those employees are actually assets because they have knowledge. Now, yes, some employees could go away, uh, but if you have enough employees and you're starting to build that out, then you start building processes and procedures in your services company. Mm -hmm. I'm starting with the services company because they're even less. Then you're starting to build um, reuse technology that your services company uses, right? So to provide that service. All of a sudden, that service company went from being kind of not worth anything to maybe worth 1x of revenue, 2x of revenue, maybe even 3x of revenue. Mm -hmm. But we're going to go one step further. Now, let's say you're a product company. I'm a practicing entrepreneur right now. I didn't mention that. But I'm actually, I, today, I just launched on this recording, uh, launched earlier, uh, the date of this recording, I launched my new company after two years of development. It's a software product in the e-learning space. Wonderful, very exciting. Uh, we're all pumped today. That's an asset. I spent two years building a software product that now I can put customer after customer after customer on. Completely reusable at an incremental cost of almost nothing to add an additional customer. That is the ultimate in reusability or a mobile app where you get subscriber after subscriber, but it's the same mobile app. There are a lot of different things that you can reuse. So when you're on that side of the equation, guess what your multiple is? <laughs> your multiple goes from one or two X as a services company with some reusable assets, which is okay. At least, at least now we've built some reusable assets in your business to something that is ultimately reusable, a software asset, could be a, could be a building, could be a, a, a retail, uh, there could be your brand is also could, uh, is an asset that you build and you invest in. There's a lot of things that you can invest in. Some of them are intangible, some of them are tangible. But guess what the multiple is for when you have assets? Assets that can be sold and transferred and still retain their value. That could be, that software company today could be worth 10X of revenue. And about six months prior, before the recession, before the inflation or whatever we call it, uh, <laughs> uh, before the crash, that was worth 20 to 30X of revenue. Now it's about 10x and it's going to kind of start to go back up again slowly over time. Next couple of years, we're going to start to see that incrementing. Wouldn't I rather have a business with a bunch of assets that are worth 10x of revenue versus 1x of revenue? The answer is pretty simple. So build assets. What I want you to do is I want you to find ways in your business, and every business can do this, mm -hmm. to figure out how to productize something, process, put process around it, uh, 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 make a service and turn it into a product. And then you want to go one step further real quick add reoccurring revenue to it. One of the greatest assets you can have are your customers. And if they buy from you again and again and again, and they're sticky, what I mean by sticky is they stay with you, they're loyal, whoo, then you're great, right? Then you're golden, and then you're really worth that 20, 30, 40 X of revenue. And yes, that can happen. It happened a year ago, it can happen again. Yeah, yeah, that was great. So our audience is uh, largely design professionals, architects, interior designers, Perfect. and then also uh, contractors. And then we do have a, a bunch of other business owners that listen to this. But knowing that that's kind of the core of our audience, I would love if you can give an example of a common problem that maybe they could they can solve that everyone cares about. Yeah, well, so what you really need to do, and that's actually a really great question. Um, first of all, if you haven't thought, you're already in business. Most of your listeners are already in business. They're not starting mm -hmm. new businesses. Maybe they are. The most important thing that you need to rethink about, right, if you haven't already, is what problem are you solving mm -hmm. for your end customer? And is that problem important enough? Is it big enough? Uh, do they have a strong enough need, want, desire, or is that enough pain? The more pain, the more money. I guarantee it. The more pain that you're solving, the more value you can charge. And here's what's cool about your audience. 
they're all using what I hope is value-based pricing. If you're not, go to my website, watch the videos on value-based pricing uh, because you need a pricing strategy. If you're just charging what the other guy's charging, oh, that's, and, and, and the other uh, consultant, architect, designer, no, 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 no. Where, how you're going to get your, your, well, we'll talk about price in a second. I want to get too far off of this. this but solving, I want to get to solving this problem first. And so if you can start to craft and re-engineer your business to solving bigger and bigger problems that are harder for other people to solve than you, or then uh, harder for, uh, for your customer to get solved by other people so that it puts you and it sets you a, a, a kind of aside, then it starts to get really interesting because now the value that you deliver, the value-based pricing that I was just talking about goes way up. So give, let me give you an example. Um, I just remodeled my house. Ugh. Okay, I just remodeled my house. I know a little bit about the architects, the engineers, because I had to pay them all. And they were actually great, I have to say. I went through three contractors. The third contractor was amazing. Like I want to sing from the rooftop, but the first two were not so good, okay? Spent a bunch of money. This story, I'm sure everybody, one of your listeners, yeah. Yeah. either knows somebody that's gone through a remodel or has gone through a remodel or has done the remodels as well. And um, I got to tell you, when I went, so the, uh, when I finally found the person that specialized just in what I needed, they knew exactly what I was doing, what I needed. They knew the quality level of what I needed. Uh, and they were able to act. And so I paid them more money. I actually probably paid them double. I don't know what some other contractors would pay, maybe not quite double, but I got to tell you, the product that they delivered was amazing. So one of the things that I always recommend is focus, focus, focus. If you can carve out a niche, it was funny. I was talking to a friend of mine the other day. It was probably a couple of weeks ago. And she said she had a coach. It was a coach that focuses on weight loss for dentists. I'm like, Holy crap. What, what are you? What, what a niche. A oh my goodness. You want to talk about a niche within a niche within a niche within a niche within a niche. Yeah. But I got to tell you, here's the cool thing. And this is why I want to use this example. That person understands the dentist lifestyle. They understand the money that's associated so they can charge more. They, under, they only work with dentists. She only works with dentists and she works just with weight loss and dentists. So she can really get in there and work with their mind, work with their diet, work with their schedules, work with their families. She understands that whole uh, architect, uh, the e ecosystem. She is more valuable to that dentist than if she said, hey, I do weight loss for anybody. I can handle, I get dentists, doctors, uh, 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 you know, anybody, anybody needs weight loss. They can. That's not quite as valuable. But when she, when she walks in and talks to those dentists, man, they resonate. And is she charging more for what she does? She absolutely, she knows her target market. Her target market will pay for it. They'll pay for more customized services and handhold white glove services because dentists, as we all know, if we've ever gotten to the dentist, they make a lot of money. So they can afford the white glove nature for which she offers versus maybe a vanilla pack. So target your market, understand your market, focus on a niche, focus, focus, focus. I can't say that enough. Focus on a niche and then provide a service that they really need. The more value, the more money you charge, the more revenue, the more margin you make, and that goes into your pocket. That's the name of the game. Yeah. I bet she has the most confidence too for yeah. this specific niche. I mean, she owns it. Like it's hers. She owns just, it. Yeah. Fantastic. Great, great story. Appreciate that. And you can and you can stratify your market in a lot of different ways. You can do it by ge geography. You can do it by just changing your pricing model around. Uh, you can do it by actually targeting, like in this case, a very specific, there's a lot of ways to position and to target. <clears throat> yeah. Very cool. Uh Tell us about leadership. I mean, you know, if you're a, if you're a business owner, you're naturally a leader, even if you're just leading yourself. Um, how do but how does that how does someone you know translate into some something that's like a thought leader? I mean, that's a big that's a buzzword that's going around, and there's social media has kind of amplified this idea that there's a thought leader. But how, in your opinion, how does one become a thought leader? 
Well, a couple of things. One is you need to become a thought leader, in my opinion. It, again, we all talk, we just talked about value. So what you want to do is by being a thought leader, and essentially what it means is you're going out and you're professing whatever it is that you do, you're better than 99.99% of the humans out there about what you do amongst all the humans. I don't care. So, so if you think that you're like, Ken, you know, I just got in the industry a couple of years ago. I'm still learning. Uh, maybe, maybe it's a music industry, maybe it's a, a retail or what have you. Maybe it's a specific, like you, you make candles or you're into, uh, uh, um, uh, uh, you just opened a spa or, you know, uh, yeah, whatever it might be. You still know more about that spa, that whatever that, that, that is, that sporting goods store, whatever it is, than 99.99% of the people out there. So what I want you to do is I want you to garner up all of that energy of what you know, because it's what you're passionate about. And then I want you to teach others. I want you to tell others. I, becoming a thought leader, and I did in the e-commerce space. I didn't know what the heck I was doing. Prior to my current company, I've got Entrepreneur Now, which is an e-learning content company for entrepreneurs. Love it. Had, had it for five years. Started a new company a couple of years ago, e-learning software. But prior to that, I was in the e-commerce business for 21 years. We didn't really know what thought leaders were back then. I just kind of mm -hmm. went out. I started speaking at trade shows. And then I started <laughs> writing articles. And then I started... Uh, getting interviewed for articles. And then I just started, and then all of a sudden I went from asking for people to uh, like uh, want to listen to me and speak to them coming to me where my agenda was filled. I did 20 trade shows or speeches a year and not one did I have to book or ever pay for. They were all done and I didn't really get paid for them. And the reason was because we were a for-profit company and oh. in, uh, implicit in that was talking about my company, right? right? Um, same thing with these podcasts as well. I have, you know, we haven't really asked to be on any of them. You know, I'm on a fair amount of them and they're fun and they're great. That's raising your platform. That's becoming a thought leader. What I'm doing today right now is helping other people learn, grow, and develop. That's what it is to be a thought leader. Now, how do you monetize that or how do you make it, turn it into something? I can tell you because I did this for 21 years. We didn't know it was thought leadership, but I got to tell you, every customer I got was from a trade show. They heard me speak. They read an article. They heard about us and our company or myself. And you say, Ken, you sound very arrogant. No, 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 no. I want you, don't be arrogant. The thought leadership is about you. You need to be the personality. I naturally just became the personality for my company that I sold for 10 digits, a lot of money <laughs> about five years ago. Um, I was, the, I was the, 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 the poster child, if you will, the, you know, on the front, front cover there. And it's okay to do that as an entrepreneur and as a leader, you need to do that or you need to appoint somebody to do it, right? If you're, not, if you're horrible at it, you need to have the face not just to the company, but to you. And if, of course, if you're the product, then you need to be the face. Get information out there. And the last thing I'll say about it is, I don't just believe in this. I actually built a platform called Microcasting, which we just launched today, that is for exactly what we're talking about. It's to, it's to use e-learning and content as a sales and marketing tool to generate leads, to uh, uh, it, it reinforce that trust and, re and, and relationship that you're building with prospects and customers and partners. Anyway, I just mentioned that. I don't need anybody to go out and buy it. I, I'm more just saying it for the fact that I believe so much in this idea of thought leadership that I actually built a software platform that was originally called the thought leadership platform, but it didn't fail with the VCs. So uh, I changed it <laughs> to the to e-learning the e customer engagement platform. And now everybody loves it. I changed one word from thought leadership to e-learning. And now it just, I mean, it's just another example of marketing, right? It's like, mm -hmm. nobody got what, when I talk about thought leadership as a as a software, as a name, this is just education. They're like, I don't know what that is. I don't want to use that. I, I changed the word to e-learning and overnight, everybody's like, oh my God, I have to have that. Interesting. Go figure. Yeah, yeah, I know. Go figure. Exactly. It's so tricky. Even like as a podcaster and somebody who's on YouTube, it's 
like titles actually matter more than they, content sometimes. It's so weird. They do. Yeah. Um, so you're a successful person, Ken, and there's a lot of people listening that are successful here and they keep rising and that's all good and grand. And what I'm about to say is maybe a little, a little controversial, but like, it seems like then maybe you're, you know, not yours, but just in general, no, no. people's yeah. egos sort of inflate with their success. What, what kind of ideas do you have to kind of keep that in check um, so that it doesn't get in the way of future success? Yes. Well, it's, so I wrote a book about this called Prosper. And one of the sections in the book is called Managing Your Ego. It's one of the five steps to living a fulfilled life, I would suggest. And I know it sounds a little heighty flighty, personal development-y, but it's a, the book is a cross between personal development and, and entrepreneurship and business. Uh, and so really what I, what I talk about in the book around kind of managing your ego is first of all, look for your ego triggers. Now, ego is not mean, does not mean you're being egotistical. I think in the context, the way you ask the question, mm. there could be elements of that, which by the way, it is, but ego is a devastating negative tool in life. And I've seen it just uh, blow apart businesses. You think about the arrogant leader, the arrogant CEO. And by the way, I was actually replaced as CEO of my company market live way back in the day for a couple of years. And we hired in an arrogant CEO. Customers left, employees left, everybody. He destroyed the company in two years. I had to come back and kind of bolster it up um, because people don't want to do business with arrogant people. It's not just being arrogant and ego, it's ego driven. You care about the status. You make decisions that are making decisions to support um, uh, you, you and your own, uh, your, own, uh, your, own uh, your own existence and your status. And that's why you make the decisions in business. And we get all caught up in that. You're the brand. Hey, uh, you know, leave it at the door. You could be a thought leader, but you go in and, and you have to know what the ego triggers are. If you understand ego triggers and what triggers that ego and you understand where you're coming from and what your motivation is, is my motivation to boost myself up and to make myself feel good or is my motivation to serve and help others? Ask that simple question. Where is my motivation coming from? And you'll be able to trace back if it's a destructive ego mechanism or uh, uh, egoic mechanism, or uh, it's something that actually is supporting you because having confidence and promote and being, being uh, confident about what you deliver, especially with the architects and designers, you have a million talented listeners out there uh, that are really great at what they do. They should promote that. But there's a difference between that and self-promotion. Give me an example. I was doing some interviews. I did about 40 interviews for my uh, Entrepreneur Now Network. And I had a couple of big names. The big names were the worst interviews. And the reason why is they mm. spent the entire interview talking about themselves. <laughs> Nobody cares about you, but they didn't understand that. And they talked about themselves, but in the context of how great they were and what they accomplished and all of that, I literally did not use those interviews. The best right. name people, and I deleted the interviews and I've never used them again. I did this earlier this year. The best interviews came from people that really just wanted to give. And you can feel that authenticity come through the screen, come through the microphone. I hope your listeners hear it from me now, right? They're hearing that I don't, I have no agenda. I don't want to sell anything. I don't want you to ever go to my website. I don't need anything, right? I just want, I'm only on this podcast for this 30 minutes. Hopefully one thing I say might resonate with one person. They go, wow, I didn't think of it that way. And it helps move them along their, their journey. That's yeah. It. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. I mean, that's first and foremost, why we even do this podcast is exactly that is like, if there's one thing they take from each episode, we're doing our job of just giving out yep. there. Um, come, come from that perspective and everything else, else will come in. We call it the law of attraction. I don't mean to get too heidi flighty, but you know, my book is a little, little out there. I, I, I say in the personal development realm, and I got to tell you, you will attract things and I call it high vibes and high vibes basically. Yeah. Mean if you're going out there, you're doing positive things. You're doing it for the reason to serve. Let me tell you, let me give a quick partnering tip here because every one of your listeners probably partners. 
When you go into the partnership, only think about one thing, not what you can get from them, what you can give to them. That's it, full stop, done. What can I give to this partner to add value to them? And I got to tell you, you have partners coming out of the woodwork and you're like, but wait a minute, Ken, I'm trying to grow my business through the partners. I don't want to grow their business. No, 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 no. You will grow your business by growing their business. Give first, receive later. Not 100% of the partners will come through. They'll take, okay, that's fine. Good, we gave something good. They, they benefited, great. But I got to tell you, maybe 50, 60, 70% of those partners will say, what can I do for you after you do something for them? How can I help your business once we're in business together? I got to tell you, give first to the partner. And this is how you build those partners. This is how you get the partnerships to begin mm -hmm. with. Mm -hmm. And then you actually execute on something that adds value. I got to tell you, they will come back again and again and again and be your best friend. And ultimately that favor will be returned. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah, it, you just you just breed more positivity the more you put out there, and you breed more negativity the more negativity you put out there. And negativity Absolutely. is so sticky, so just avoid it that. Is. Positivity yeah. is 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 also sticky as well. Raise your vibration, and I say vibration. Raise the energy. We're all energy at the end of the day. I don't mean to get weird. I know this. It's is okay podcast. to get weird, Ken. It's okay to get a little weird. <laughs> all right, with Lance, we're, gonna, we're doing it. We're doing it. And 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 if you raise that vibration by good exercise, good food, yeah. uh, 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 some meditation. Uh, uh, interacting with positive people and kind of trying to get some of that negative talk. You're going to have negative people in your life, but just put them in a bucket, not in a literal bucket and kind of segment them out. And there's other things. I have like 15 things on my high vibe list. Here's what the end result is though. You will start to attract, not the, the law of attraction. You will start to attract other, the other vibrations, other people that are vibrating at the same level that you and all the negative people will start to push away because yeah. they're not going to have anything. in a, uh, If you're an enabler and you attract negative people, because, uh, not even if you're negative, but you want that energy, you will attract that energy. So what you want to do is push out the positive and only attract the positive. Here's what happens though. All these other opportunities start to come up from that because you're attracting really good people and really good things in your life. I've just seen it. The law of attraction, there's a, a, a you know, the law of attraction is, is, you know, you have a thought and it all of a sudden comes. That doesn't work, by the way. Let's be real clear about that. Mm -hmm. Oh, I just thought it. There's part of the law of attraction is you think about it and then you're putting out kind of that into the universe or whatever. What you're doing really is getting clarity on what you want. The second thing in the law of attraction is take action. <laughs> you got to take action in order to bring it in. Uh, and so those are two pieces that I like to put together. Uh, and then and then the third magic ingredient is if you can stay positive with that and, and, and vibrate at a high level, that then helps a lot. It, it's the gasoline on top of the law of attraction. Anyway, that's my little law of attraction spiel. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, fantastic. I've got two, we're running up on the half hour here. Oh, yeah. So I've got two questions left for you. And uh, I, I asked them to everybody. First one is uh, knowing what you know now, and if you could go back in time when you first started your business, what is one piece of advice you give your former self? Ooh, um, well, I would say not, uh, well, uh, detachment. <laughs> the, the thing that I learned about uh, in business is don't be detached, be detached, no, be detached from the outcome. And what I mean by that is, is I had to learn the hard way. I when I started Market Live, I was very attached. <laughs> every customer that we got, I was euphoric. Every customer we lost, I was devastated. Every good thing that happened or every bad thing that happened, my emotional state would waver every day along with that. And it was a roller coaster ride. So all I can say is that um, once I started to learn how to detach and I got hit a hard lesson, <laughs> you know, right? I was removed to CEO. Not because I was bad, not because I did anything wrong. They just, the board, my, my board was backed by very powerful VCs. And they said, you know what? You're doing a great job, but eh, we're going to we're, we're gonna get somebody else in that can do an even better job, right? Anyway, bottom line is I was forced to detach. And then I started to learn the value of separating outcome and my ego from what I was really doing. And now my new businesses, I'm here to serve. That's it. Uh, people use my software. I don't care if they pay for it or not. 
yes, I have to run a business and I have to do that. So I have to make money. So I would say detachment is the biggest lesson. Great, great. Ken, I'm so glad we were able to interview you today. I know we had a little slight hiccup. It's all good. Your energy was just phenomenal. Your advice is great too. And I, I hope people took multiple things from this show. If they want to learn more about what you do, uh, maybe take some of your courses and, and get going on that track, where can people find and follow you? Sure. Yeah. Uh, feel free. We got a lot of free content on these sites as well. Entrepreneurnow.com. Great site for all entrepreneurs for starting a business, running a business, all that. KenBurke.com. If you want to get the business, K-E-N-B-U-R-K-E. -E. Uh, and if you heard about that microcasting product, microcasting.com, in case you're interested in being a thought leader and you need a software platform to drive all of that. Thank you so much, Ken. Uh, we really appreciate your time and being on the show today. Oh, thanks, Lance. I enjoyed it.